Welcome to NASA EDGE, an inside and outside look at all things NASA. We're here at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center talking to the MMS team for the Magnetospheric Multi-Scale Mission. How you guys doing? Great. Doing good. Feeling pretty good? Yeah. I think we have a launch coming up here in a, in a few months. Yeah, yeah. six months. Yeah. So what we're going to do today, this is unlike any other NASA EDGE show we've done before. This is sort of a, a talk show format and just we're just going to have fun with this today, okay? So Craig, you're the PI for the key instrument on the spacecraft. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I think you're talking about FPI, Fast Plasma Investigation. We measure the distribution of electrons and ions in space in the reconnection region. And the thing that sets it apart is it's 100 times faster than plasma measurements have ever been made before, which allows us to get very high spatial resolution as well as time resolution. Because the things we're looking at are moving past the spacecraft very quickly. So high time resolution gives us high spatial resolution. It's been a huge effort. We've got a great team, and uh, so far, so good. Well, you have a, a great group right here, and, and Brent, as the uh, Deputy Project Manager, uh, you know, Craig mentioned this term, magnetic reconnection. I mean, what made you guys think about magnetic reconnection years ago when you were developing this mission? Well, uh, magnetic reconnection is a physical process that happens um, throughout the universe. It happens in planet formation, it happens uh, on, in fusion reactors, and it happens in the Earth's magnetosphere. And it's just a process that scientists don't understand. It releases a tremendous amount of energy when it occurs. So NASA decided a while ago that this was a, a number one priority to, to build a mission to understand this process. And, and when did you start this mission? What year was this? Uh, the mission was confirmed in 2009. 2009? Yes, okay. it's been a while. Now, I understand, I was reading uh, on NASA.gov that there was another NASA spacecraft that accidentally recorded a magnetic reconnection. Is that true? There have been several missions flown by NASA and other international organizations where we've gotten glimpses of what's really going on with magnetic reconnection. But this is the first mission which is fully dedicated in a systematic way to studying that phenomenon. Nishi, um, four spacecraft, why not one? Well, we can't meet our science requirements with just one spacecraft. We actually need all four to fly together in the tetrahedron formation to be able to do the science properly. Now, as, as a systems engineer on the project, what is your role in the mission? I'm actually the avionics systems engineer, and I actually started off as the hardware lead for this command and data handling. And I moved up to become a systems engineer. The avionics systems engineer is responsible for most of the spacecraft electronics on the deck. Uh, that includes the command and data handling subsystem, the power supply electronics, the engine valve drive, as well as the navigator, which handles our GPS and our location. Now, is it fair to say that Nishi is doing a pretty good job as systems engineer for the project? Yeah, she's all right. She's, she's okay. All right? She's okay? I seem better. You, you seem better? Okay. okay. All right. And, and Kenny, you're, you're a mechanical engineer yes. on the project, so uh, do you pretty much watch what Nushi's doing, making sure she's doing her job correctly, or what's, what's your role? Actually, I'm the mechanical lead. Um, I actually started the project in 2005 when we were in the um, Integrated Design Center, so I was actually one of the ones that laid out the octagon shape that eventually came to be favored by the PI and the scientists, such as Craig. And so why did you choose an octagon shape? Well, the key role or factor that led to that shape was the number of instruments and fast plasma instrument has eight instruments that are 90 degrees apart. And so that was a good function in the octagon eight, you know, goes into those four instruments well and being 90 degrees apart helped with the, the layout a lot. And each one wanted to have their own clear field of views. So is, I guess it's fair to say that you did really well in geometry back in high school and college. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can remember back then, but I guess so. 
But it wasn't just me. I right. would say that it was, it was a team effort that, that had to go into the, getting that layout to be accepted. Now, you brought up a good point, and, and, and Craig, I'm, I'm sorry you're the only scientist here. You're kind of outnumbered by engineers. This, I mean, the scientists and the, and the engineer really have to work together closely in order to develop a, a plan for a mission. Uh, how is it important, uh, you as a mechanical engineer, to work with the scientists? It's very important that the scientists and the engineers work closely together so we can understand the requirements. And as we started off early on, the requirements weren't all known, so it's, it's a lot of interaction that has to go on uh, multiple times of, of cycles to try to make sure you understand and get all the requirements in so that you can package the spacecraft or build a spacecraft bus in my world that meets their requirements. Now I understand, Chris, you're also a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. Work with Kenny? I do, I work for Kenny. And was his answer correct? Mostly. Mostly? <laughs> no, no, very correct. Is there anything you want to add to that in terms of, of working with the scientists? My area of, of work on the project really doesn't deal a lot with the scientists. By the time I came on, which, uh, Kenny, I think that was, what, 2000 and 2010, uh, the requirements were all pretty much well-defined, I think. So at that point, if you didn't agree with the octagon shape, you pretty much had to deal with it because it was already set in stone by the time you got there. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. <laughs> All right, good. Safety is really important for a lot of missions, isn't it? And I believe, Michelle, you're the safety uh, lead for the mission? Yes, I am the safety lead for the mission. So, so in terms of safety, are, is your, your role to make sure everything is going well with the spacecraft? Or, I mean, what's, what exactly is the safety officer? So it's a little bit of both. Um, my main focus is definitely making sure the people keep them, we keep the people safe. Um, what I want to make sure is, you know, anytime they're running procedures or doing different operations that we're making sure they're within the limits, definitely within OSHA and also within the, the NASA requirements as well. Um, we do also keep an eye on the hardware as well and make sure that that's safe as well as, you know, we have some deployables. So making sure basically if we went ahead and deployed one of those items where A, not going to hit a person or any other equipment or um, any other hardware on the spacecraft itself. So you're the one that's pretty much deploying, putting in GoPros in the clean room, making sure everyone's doing their job and you're sitting in a monitor and watching It would be day. nice if it was that easy, but more, more times than not, I am the GoPro in the, in the clean you room. You are the GoPro. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> so, the human GoPro. That's, yeah. we got we to got trademark that one. <laughs> Have you caught anybody in the uh, clean room eating? Maybe some pizza, <laughs> having some lunch, you know? Uh, no, I have not, but that's not usually what I have to worry about. So normally contamination will worry about that. So You don't have any dirt you can give me on the team? Any, any of these people here? No? <laughs> not really, no. Everybody, everybody's pretty good. Everybody takes safety pretty seriously. So we, we definitely have a, a good team of people working on this mission. I want to go back to four spacecraft, four identical spacecraft. Are they truly identical, Brent? They're pretty identical. <laughs> They're, uh, um, if you look at them uh, to the naked eye there, you, you couldn't tell the difference, but there's, you know, there's little things. These are very complicated spacecraft, so, you know, if we find an issue with one, we might have to fix something in a different way that we fix others. So there, there are tiny differences. Now, I understand informally, have you named each spacecraft? Because I always wondered with four identical spacecraft, you've got to have a name for each one. One, two, three, and four. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> So with four spacecraft, there's a lot of testing going on. Uh, probably the same test repeated four, four different times because you have four identical spacecraft. And I understand Mr. Freeze uh, is in the back, Romel. We had you on on a previous show. Great yes, job, by the way. I was. Uh, now, by the way. You were, in you the were... Philippines only, though. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, how did it go with uh, after all four tests were done in the thermal vac? Uh, overall, good. Um, you know, I don't miss NRL. I'm just kidding. NRL was lovely. Six and what's, what's NRL? 
the, the Naval Research Lab okay. down in DC. So yeah, six months or more of, of testing, almost nonstop, and it, it went well. We talked about, you know, sometimes you were falling asleep during the test because not much was going on. I mean, oh well, yeah, you know, you get tired. You get tired, yeah, okay. Yeah, and when people are not around, you, you take a doze every now and then, but, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it went well, so. Very good. Ruth, uh, you're the quality engineer on the mission. Uh, tell us your feelings at this point at, in terms of MMS. I mean, are you getting excited towards the launch? Uh, first of all, I am one of several quality engineers on the team, and I am very excited. Um, this has been a great team to work with, a great communication, great competence, and we're a team of compassion also. Um, highs and lows in this uh, project has been great. And, and, w and what's, as a quality engineer, what's your role? I assure the mission in far as like, um, like I'm not involved with the scientists, but as soon as those requirements are flowed down through engineering and into uh, manufacturing, integration, test, uh, we assure that those processes and the products uh, comply with the requirements. So we're all over the place. All over the place. So it's interesting. Uh, so, so Craig, as, as a scientist, uh, is it fair to say, are, are you working with the mission all the way through? Or are you sort of there at the beginning to, to look at the requirements, get the instruments built, and then you're ready to collect, get that data once the, uh, the mission's underway? Well, the scientists are deeply involved from start to finish, uh, particularly at the instrument level, which is where my function is. Uh, I have a team of engineers, uh, which I work with here in Building 21, and uh, we interact every day. Uh, the requirements need to be set, defined early, as early as possible, and as clearly as possible. But then there's always things that come up. Uh, is this, will this work? Is this good enough? Does this, will this contaminate your measurements? Uh, will this work or will that work? And you have to interact with the engineers, uh, certainly at the instrument level, on a daily basis to make those kind of clarifications. Now this, this mission is very unique in that you're gonna be really going into the hardness of space. I mean, you're gonna be experiencing a lot of radiation on this mission. So your scientific instruments really have to be ready to go and really essentially can't fail. So I mean, what does it take to get that instrumentation ready for space? Well, regarding the radiation environment in particular, uh, there are certain things which are sensitive to radiation. For example, certain electronic parts. There's technology where these electronic parts can be hardened against radiation. And so we buy those particular parts for flights on a mission like this. Also plastics, you have to worry about the degradation of plastics with the radiation but really comes down to you know, clear requirements and attention to detail in the implementation from start to finish. Roberto, we have a power systems guy uh, over here. And, and Roberto, what, I understand there's some solar panels on the spacecraft along right. with some batteries. And it, so how do you go about designing, uh, getting a mission like this ready for solar panels and batteries and making sure that uh, the instruments have enough power on board? What we initially do, we do what's called the energy balance analysis, which dictates, based on the orbit, how much solar array we're going to be needing and how much battery we're going to be needing for the long shadows. Uh, in particular, the MMS, the MMS mission was challenging. We're going to be in eclipse for about four hours. But we also were facing the wall in terms of how big the battery could be because there's a mass that we need to keep the whole spacecraft below the number. So we have to go back and forth, and we came up with different, uh, what we call flight uh, 
operational scenarios where we dictate what what instrument gets turned on, which one gets turned off, so so that we have enough battery power to come out, out of the Umbra. Okay. So it, it's not as easy as just putting a bunch of Energizer bunnies in, inside the spacecraft? I, I wish it was. I wish it was. <laughs> now, we talked about uh, four spacecraft. I mean, do you need four, Brent? Do you need four spacecraft to, to complete the mission? Could you get away with three or two? For four science, we need we need the full four spacecraft. Magnetic reconnection is a process that happens in three dimensions. So you have to take measurements in four different parts of space. So so you really need the four spacecraft. Uh, we we could do minimal science with three, but we're aiming for four. Now I'm going to get a little bit heavy from from my perspective on the science side. So you got to help me to understand. So is it fair to say that the the energy that's being transferred from the sun? the magnetic field, it actually crosses the magnetic field of the Earth and that energy gets transferred to our field. And then, so that's sort of what you're measuring, that magnetic reconnection, uh, to see how much energy is being transferred to our field. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you could think of it as, as there, there's energy stored in our magnetic field and energy is released uh, during a magnetic reconnection. When the sun's plasma interacts with the Earth's magnetic field, there's energy that's released from that magnetic field. The only visible signs that there is really a connection between the sun and the earth is the auroras. So on the back side, I guess, you're looking at reconnection as well? Yeah, that's phase two of the mission, is looking at reconnection and what we call the magnetospheric tail. We can't execute both phases simultaneously because when reconnection happens on the sunward side of the earth, it's about 11 earth radii away okay. or upstream from the earth. Okay. When it happens on the backside in the magnetospheric tail, it's at about 20 Earth radii away. So we actually have to execute propulsive maneuvers and change our orbits between phase one and phase two. Now, speaking of propulsion, how long is the mission supposed to last? Well, it's, it's a, a two-year mission. Uh, we have a commissioning period of about five and a half months, and then we have a two-year science mission. Okay. So the spacecraft will be up there for at least that long, and then we have fuel that, you know, if, if NASA chooses to, we could extend the mission by probably another couple of years. years. You know, Nisha, a lot of times I, I talk to a lot of high school students, um, college students, and, you know, the term systems engineer. What exactly is a systems engineer, and how is the schooling different than, let's say, a mechanical or an aerospace or an electrical? Well, systems engineering, are, it's very different in different areas, but for me specifically, I have many different types of roles. One of my roles is to make sure that the requirements are met technically properly. We also have to make sure that we test the observatories properly, and that was probably one of the biggest challenges for MMS. We have four observatories, and we have a lot of tests to run. At this point, I've lost track of how many functional tests and CPTs, and of course, Ramel mentioned we CPTs. had six comprehensive performance tests. And Ramel mentioned we had six months of thermal vacuum testing. So one of my responsibilities was architecting those tests and making sure that we test the observatory fully, that each subsystem gets a good go at this thermal environment or even during EMI, other vibration testing, make sure we test properly so we haven't broken anything or that we meet all the requirements that we have to do. So does each spacecraft have its own personality? Would you say? Some of them do. We have some observatories we always make fun of a bit. Oh, that's Observatory 4 with all the chassis current. It's pretty noisy. But, you know, they have their own uh, personalities in terms of the people that work on it. We have a great team, but each one is known to be a little bit different from one another. And so. 
Oh, so not the same team doesn't work on each of the spacecraft. You have different teams. It depends teams. on uh, what area. The mechanical team, yes, they work on all the observatories. We have a certain different number of people that work on the testing in terms of our test conductors. There's a group of people assigned to each observatory. That's not to say they don't cross-test when needed, but right. we have specific people assigned to those. Now, you said you worked on each spacecraft, uh, Kenny. Um, do you have a favorite with with one of the spacecraft? Or? It's blue. Ops blue two. is a favorite Ops color. Two. Yes. Yes. Ops two was built first. Our build order was two one four three. Two one four three. Yes, sir. Is that, is that new math, or is it usually because it's one, two, three, four, isn't it? You roll the dice. You just, that's how you do it now? You just roll the yeah. dice and whatever comes through? Okay. It actually came about as a result of the, as the spacecraft were building early on, we had some problems in one of the test facilities, and so that's, that's what facilitated that change. In the so when, so when, you, when you were working on spacecraft two, did that get fully developed first and, and completed first as a, before one, three, and four? Or how, did it, how does that pretty, work? Pretty much. Yeah, so. yeah it did. It, it did? It, it did, yeah. Right. It, number two went through all, all the entire integration first. Wow. And the others followed in a staggered fashion. Okay. And how cool was it to, you, you see the first pictures of the, of, the, of the stack. You have all four on top of each other, because that's how it's going to be launched. That was Correct. cool. That was, was that cool? Very cool. That's very, very cool. Very tall stack. Is yes. It, 21, now, I understand 21 it's going to be going on an Atlas V? Yes. Okay. Which leads me to sort of the, the next phase is you've, you've built the four spacecraft, right? You're in your right. final testing phase before it gets shipped down to Kennedy Space Center? Yes. What is that process of going through and uh, packaging the spacecraft, getting it ready to ship, sending it down to Kennedy, getting it unshipped, getting it processed for the launch vehicle? Is that part of your job too? Yes. Actually, it's our job in the mechanical realm. So our team built a, what's called the transporter, which we use to transport the satellites from Goddard to the launch facility, which is going to be Astrotech. So we have to build that and we're shipping in a stack of two spacecraft. Okay. So we have two shipments from here to Florida. So pretty much what you're going to do is you're going to tell Chris what to do in terms of uh, how, to, how to stack their spacecraft. <laughs> well, Chris has helped with stacking, but actually it's other people on our team that okay. are actually, we've been going through all the different tests and getting a lot of practice in actually transporting the spacecraft from Goddard to NRL to support R Rommel's uh, thermal vac testing. So we'll have to repeat that process, but it'll be a little different because we'll be carrying a stack this time versus a single spacecraft, and it also be using a new transporter that has we have never um, used before. Uh, what kind of transporter is that? This one's an all-one complete transport system, transport and trailer. Normally in the past, we would transport on a trailer and stick a, a shipping container on the trailer, but right. this is built all-in-one, and it has steering front and, front and rear steering, so it gives us more mobility and flexibility in, in, in transporting, so it should be a nice, smoother ride. Now, I guess you have to be careful in terms of vibration and, and, and all that, you yes. know, make sure there's nothing breaks in the spacecraft. So is it much safer to actually transport it by highway as opposed to flying it down? Well, this space, early on, we had to make a decision in the requirements to design the structures for flight lows or over the road or transporting over the ocean, which we have done at NASA before in the past, but this was decided early on to transport over the road. So we have isolators or shock systems, basically, in place um, and also environmental controls in place and actually to do it. Now, Chris, as, as, an, as a fellow mechanical engineer, what would you say was the, the most challenging part of your job working on MMS? Uh, probably the most challenging thing would be probably going from clean room to clean room. There was always something going on in one observatory. Normally in a spacecraft where there's one, you might stand down for a little while, thermal needs to fix something, or electrical, or any propulsion, any of the other subsystems need to work on something. Whereas with MMS, with four spacecraft, there was always something to do. 
whether if one was busy with, uh, with one of Nusha's functional tests, then two needed uh, solar arrays put on, or number three needed to go up on an Aronson table, or we needed to do a vibe test or an acoustic test on number four. So there was definitely always something going on on something, very, very little downtime. And, and Ruth, uh, and, and, and with those four spacecraft, making sure you have quality assurance, I mean, that, that has to be challenging because you have to keep track of four spacecraft. Yes, actually, it's very challenging, um, but the quality engineering team, we're really good about you can just plug and play us wherever, whatever observatories needed uh, flexible. attention. Yeah. yeah, and so we can do that well, um, keeping track of all these guys uh, to make sure that they're following processes. That was also easy. I'd, I'd like to say that basically everyone's quality-minded, um, so that made our job very easy. You look like a happy bunch. You know, you guys, you can tell you work well together. Do you guys spend time after work? Do you guys have an MMS parties or you kind of have a, you know, do, do, do you have parties in the clean room after you completed one of the spacecraft? And say, I hey, insist on a party after every CPT and every thermal vacuum. It even says it on the spreadsheet for the test flow. That's one of the project requirements? Yes, it says Craig and Brent, throw us a party. Uh, I don't think I've ever been invited to one of those. <laughs> I defer to Brent on that one. Uh, Brent, uh, The mechanical was left out on that. It's invitation only. Oh. <laughs> invitation only. Well, you know, thank you so much you know, for joining us today. We look forward to a great launch on, on top of the Atlas V in March, and I'm sure you'll, you'll be down there uh, working hard, uh, preparing for the, for the launch, but also you know, just the feeling once that you know, uh, rocket achieves orbit and it gets into space, you're, you can say that you actually have a spacecraft orbiting the Earth. And, four. And, and four of them, yes, that's right, four of them, that's right. And how soon will you get the data back once the spacecraft is functioning? Well, like Brent said, there's about a five-month commissioning period. Okay. So we launch in March, you know, around August, uh, the scientific harvest will really begin. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, it's been insightful. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by another seven folks on the MMS team to see if we can get some, uh, some dirt on these, on these folks here. We'll be right back.